0: Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, every week on Felony Friday, I focus on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. And this is only one of the three shows that we offer every single week here on Lions of Liberty Every Monday, we kick things off with our longest-running show, our flagship program, the OG Lions of Liberty podcast, hosted by Mark Clare, where Mark interviews leading minds in the liberty movement. And about once a month, we'll host some roundtable discussions, our very popular libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. And every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams, your weekly shot of culture comedy and liberty. And this episode of Felony Friday today is the 106th episode of Felony Friday. So that means you'll be able to find the show notes page with links and notes to everything that I'm going to talk about with my guest today at linesofliberty.com/ff106. You can get all of these shows delivered to your phone every Monday, Wednesday and Friday by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast and of course we appreciate to give us a uh, five star rating and a review just one more note before we get started this episode of Felony Friday is sponsored by the Better Money Pack the Better Money Pack was founded to identify and help elect candidates who will fight for three founding principles financial responsibility, safe cryptocurrency, and free market solutions. The Better Money Pack will invest in five selected races in 2018 to elect candidates at the state level who embody the fight for better money. They will produce and distribute comprehensive media outreach campaigns to win these elections. So donate to the Better Money Pack through our affiliate link. You can find that at linesoflibertycom slash bettermoney. My guest today on Felony Friday is Franz Michael. Franz, welcome to Felony Friday.
1: Hey, John, how you doing today?
0: Doing well, my friend, and it's it's great to have you on the show. And you were referred to me, like we talked about before, by uh, Malik King, friend of the show, great guy who's uh you know told me about a lot of felons, a lot of people with criminal backgrounds, a lot of people who've been commuted. By President Obama like you yourself were commuted back in November November 22nd of, uh, of 2016 and you have a, you know a great story from everything you've had to overcome to uh, being the founder of, of guns down which is you know helping to reduce the amount of recidivism and teaching uh, people who have been incarcerated um, the skills they need to be successful in life so I want to talk about all that stuff but before we get to that, I want to focus on your story. So we can start at the beginning. Um, If you could just tell my audience a little bit about uh, your background, where you come from, where you grew up.
1: All right. That sounds good. Well, like I said, first, I want to thank you for having me on your show. I want to thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's extremely important for the community. It's extremely important for people to understand what's going on with the federal system. And it's also extremely important for people to understand that there are guys that do come home and actually change and want better, not only for themselves but for their for their families and for their community. So first off, that's why I want to thank you for having your show. I want to thank Malik for introducing us. But I'll give you a little background story about myself, like you asked, and, and to the audience. Well, I um I come from Brooklyn, New York. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I come from a very um I, I have to say a great family, but I went to school. Uh, you know, I was sent to school. I, I had an education, but I chose the street. You know, I made a series of bad choices that led to bad decisions that um, led to extreme consequences. Like you said, I was sentenced to life. But before we get into my life sentence, I'll start off by saying I um, was convicted of conspiracy to, to distribute narcotics. That's cocaine, cocaine base, and heroin. Well, my story began when I was 16 years old. And like I said, you, you can make a series of bad choices and those choices start to lead to bigger choices and you become bigger in any, anything you're doing if you focus and you concentrate. I believe that. And for me, I was concentrating on the underworld. You know, I was fascinated by the lifestyle. I never used any drugs. I never even tried marijuana, but I was fascinated with selling drugs. I, I was fascinated with the lifestyle. I enjoyed the lifestyle at the time not understanding what it did to the community but like I'm saying fast forward I um I was selling drugs a million miles an hour you know and my conspiracy spanned from New York all the way down to Florida but I was convicted in Virginia I um I had a lot of contacts you know cuz like I said in that world if if you, you carry yourself a certain way you'll be introduced to so many different things which to me is is really bad so i was selling drugs um and i got caught i got caught through a conspiracy i wasn't personally caught doing or seen doing anything i was um i was brought into a conspiracy by other individuals that were arrested and they eventually turned, and that's how my that's how I got locked up. So would, from my, go
0: ahead. Uh, sorry, go ahead, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm gonna gonna jump in from from time to time. But um, so, at any time when you're when you were selling drugs, or you're selling you're selling coke and heroin. You said you were you were drawn in um, drawn into the lifestyle, not even using drugs yourself. At any time, did you really think about the risk you were taking? And did you were you fearful of, of getting arrested, of getting locked up?
1: Well, you know, for me, John, it, I mean, it comes to your mind, but it really didn't phase me. I really didn't think about it. It was drugs became second nature to me. It was like me breathing. You know, when you get into something, you start to get really good at it. You don't even think about it. You just start to do it. And for me, that's what was going on in my situation. I was just doing it. You know, I sold a lot of weight. I did, I was never nickel and diming. I never sold on a corner. But I sold a lot. I sold weight. And that's what I did. And, like, like, the question you asked is a really good question. But, like, I think for me and for many guys that were in my situation, I don't think that we think of the consequences as you're doing the actions. You know, when you're finally put in a corner someplace to think about it, then you could replay the action in your mind. I think that's what the situation is was for me. You know, I I never thought about death because I lost a lot of friends in that world, you know, murders, a lot of murders, a lot of people got killed. And like I said, you don't even think about it. You're just part of it. You become part of that world. And I was part of it.
0: What would you say was your, I mean, you talked about the appeal of the lifestyle, did you have any other motivations that drew you into this? Was uh, was taking care of your family part of the motivation? A- anything else like that?
1: Oh, of course. You know, I mean, that definitely was part of the motivation because you can do so many things and you can help so many people. You know, you start to believe, you know, it's like you have a Robin Hood syndrome, you know. You believe you're helping and, and you're helping others and you're taking care of your family and you're doing all these things, giving people money. You're able to live and and go shop anytime you wake up in the morning, you can shop, you go to sleep at night. You don't have to worry about a bill, you know, like the things that regular people used to worry about. I did not have to worry about, you know, money was at my disposal 24 hours a day. I I always had it. I was always able to shop. So that was definitely a part of the motivation. I had the cars, the jewelry, you know, the houses. I, I had it all in that world. So yeah, that that definitely was another part the selfish part, the selfish nature of a man you know when when it, when was enough enough you know I had it all and that's a pretty good question because you're self-motivated.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it sounds like I mean and I've, I've talked to a, a lot of other people coming from you know, similar backgrounds making similar choices. And a, a common theme I get is entrepreneurial people like yourself are, are really drawn are drawn into this because it is a, of course, there's a risk there, right? But with, with that risk comes a massive reward, just like business, a, a lot of business, legitimate business. When I say legitimate, I'm talking not black market. And I think that's, I mean, that's one thing that absolutely, in order to change the system, you have to sort of remove that option, and the way to remove that option, which is going to maybe a lot of people wouldn't agree with this. I think a lot of people listen to the show will will we'll know what I'm going to say here. But you have to legalize drugs. You legalize drugs. You bring it out of the shadows. Um, let it be. Let them be handled and regulated by the market. And you take that. Uh, you take the, the you know the massive risk away. The massive appeal to selling drugs. You take that path away. Um, that is, in my mind, uh, the way to sort of solve this uh, drug epidemic that we have today.
1: That's a, that's a thought that I pondered for many years. You know, if you remove, if you legalized it, you know, would it would it remove it from the shadows? You know, I, I But then I think about alcohol. Alcohol is also a drug, you know. It it affects mood, perception, and behavior, right?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay.
1: Well, well, if alcohol affects mood, perception, and behavior, it's still so widely on the black market. You know, it causes more death, more destruction than all the drugs combined. I believe now the opioid epidemic is 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 rivaling it. But if you understand the opioid epidemic, it's also drugs that are legalized. The pills, you know, they also drugs that are legalized that are getting into the hands of people through the black market also. So, you know, when you think of, of the argument that if you legalize it, it would it would stop the sale in the black market, it's hard to to understand if it would really make a difference. You know, I think it's just this country, you know, the people, we, we're in a country that, that has a huge appetite for partying, you know, to feel good. There's a lot of money in the country, you know. So, when you have that, it's hard to fight. You know, I for me personally, I believe through education, through education, through resources. You know, I think those are the ways that we probably could fight the epidemic.
0: I mean, I think you bring up a great point, and I'm, I'm probably probably my first pass there. It's it's making it uh, sound too simple. But th- there's a, a former guest I had on this show, uh, Johan Hari. I don't know if, if you're familiar with him, but he wrote a book called Chasing the Scream. And I talk about it all the time. I think I think everyone should read the book. Um, <clears throat> he talks about the the beginning of the war on drugs, not only in the United States, states but internationally and the players behind it. And what caused it? He goes around to different countries and um, really embeds himself with, with drug dealers to to learn um, you know, what, what makes them tick, to learn their, their, their surroundings, their culture. Um, he talks to, to scientists about addiction, um, what causes addiction. And I don't want to go into too many de- details, but there's one experiment that I talk about a lot where you have two separate uh, experiments with, with rats, and, and in the one experiment... Um, the rat is put in a very hostile environment. They're not given anything nice. There's no other rats. There are no toys to play with. And they give them two choices of water, one with pure water and one water with a little bit of heroin in it. And in that situation, when the rat, um, the rat drinks the heroin, the heroin water continues to go back to that to get that fixed. But if you do it in a different situation with a rat and you surround them with other rats and they can play and they can have fun and they're not constrained to this small environment and do the same thing, two choices to drink one regular water, one water with heroin. They'll try the water that's laced with heroin. They'll try it once, but then they'll just go back and drink the regular water. So to to uh, take that one step farther, this has been done, of course, in in real life with with humans. You um, can look at things like the, the Vietnam War, um, yeah. when soldiers were over in, in Vietnam. They were, you know, they were hooked on heroin, hooked on opioids. They come back and. They're with their families, and a lot of them just went right back into society. So the determining factor is really uh, the pain and the struggle. And like you said, um, you know, a lot of people people do have money, but, I mean, you really don't need a, a lot of money a lot of the times to, to get hooked on this stuff. So, no. it, it, yeah, a lot of time, right, it, it's an order, it's a way to cope with pain and struggle and um, That's right. Yeah, it's stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a complex, complex uh, epidemic for sure.
1: Yeah, you know it's availability. You know, and like like I said, and, and the same thing that, that researchers show is resources. You know, you keep families together. You know, you, you you try to give help where help is needed. You know, you you help stabilize families. You know, there, there's certain things. You know, you you help with with school, giving activities. You know, because there's so much things we move. You you need you need places where kids could go and and be kids mm-hmm. you know where where teenagers could go and be teenagers where they don't have to worry about so have have the struggles of the world on their shoulders at those young ages so you understand that like you said and like Johan, it's a coping it becomes a coping strategy it's a way to try and deal with pain right
0: absolutely yeah
1: you know it's, it's ways of trying to deal with trauma. So if the research is, and it's understood that those are the things that's needed, then that's the direction that we should be trying to go in. You know, and that's my, that, that's my personal opinion from being in that lifestyle. Because, like you said, you know, the, all the studies show that you give someone the resources, you give them, you, you put them around their families. you It's like me, for example, for example, me coming home and understanding the pain that I caused understand the things that I dealt with, I could have took two roads. But I I also had so much support. I have a loving family. I have children that, you know, we've been in touch with each other for years. And I understand that that helped me a great deal transition. I didn't do it all on my own throughout the years. I had a lot of support. So that helped me transition. You know, I didn't have to deal with, I had to deal with my pain but I had the resources that were available to me to help me cope through these trying times. And even coming home, you know, coming home, I had family, I had friends, I have people that supported me. There's a lot of love shown. So that, that afforded me an opportunity to do the things where I could help others, that I'm trying to help others, that that that's in a similar situation as myself, because I can see how it helped me. You know, it could have been different, right? I could have came home and maybe after doing all that time, having a life sentence, going through all those things, maybe I could have came home and started using drugs. But because I had so much help, so much friends, so much family, so much support, it helped me deal with my, it helped me cope with my situation. Absolutely. And that's, man. The, same, that's, that's the same thing that, that you're speaking of. And I think those are the resources. That's why Guns Down is so important to me. And all the other organizations that's doing similar work, you know, is so important because I understand that when a guy comes home, when a woman comes home, they need a support system. It's not that people want to commit crime and go back to prison. Who wants to go back to prison if you ever been there? Right?
0: Absolutely, if a man. a person
1: been in that environment, who could ever tell me that they want to go back to prison? but if you come home and you can't even get a metro card you have a hard time getting id you you're lacking skills to get a job i mean you're going to revert back to the only thing that you know in order to try and survive it becomes a survival mechanism and that's what i want society and all your listeners to try to comprehend and and you know i know your show is great because you have people that listen and you have people that want to help that that's that's supporting you you're doing a great thing by by making everyone aware of the draconian sentences, but like I said, who wants to to go back into an environment who wants to give up their freedom? There's not too many people that wants that want to do that do you think John
0: no absolutely i I don't think so. I think just like just like you've highlighted um you know from my experience, you know loved ones that I know. Who spent time in prison? When they came out, they had the support, our family and their friends. But there's people that they were in prison with who did come out. They don't have that support, and it's okay. night, night and day difference, man. If you, it, I mean, I'm, I'm pre preaching to the choir here, but it, I mean, if you don't have a you know a ride, someone to come pick you up to go look for a job or, or to get to a job, or I mean, just small small things like that, or somebody to give you a job. You know, yeah, it's uh, it's, small things like that can can be a huge, huge difference, make a huge impact. And I, I want to I mean, I want to talk a lot about guns down. But before I do that, I just want to make sure we, we get to the rest of your story. In, in what year did you uh did you start serving your sentence? You were sentenced to, to life in prison for conspiracy. Um, what, what was the time frame there? I started I
1: started I, I started serving my sentence in 2003. I was I was held like I went in in 2002. I started serving my sentence in 2003. On on January 31st, matter of fact, this month here, I was sentenced. I I received my life sentence, but I was already incarcerated, you know, waiting trial and you know, wait all the preliminary stuff, you know, the hearings and all that. I was already incarcerated, but after I lost my trial, I was actually sentenced to life on January 31st, 2003.
0: So what what was that feeling like when you heard that, life in prison? I mean, you know,
1: it, it's surreal because for me, I never believed I was going to do life in prison. That was like, I mean, everyone that's with me, everyone that was with me, everyone that knows me know that I always said that, listen, I'm not doing a life sentence. You know, I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight, you know, to get this up off me. But, when you walk into a place, you know, like I remember I was in the county jail. You know, like I said, I was awaiting my trial, and when I had received my life sentence, I came back and it was on the news because no one even believed that I got a life sentence because I came back normal. You know, it was like another day for me. But I could never forget there was this young man in there with me. This kid, he was a Greek kid, and he had already been in the system, in the federal system, and he came back down on appeal. And I, then he asked me after he heard, he was like, yo, he was my bunkie. He was like, yo, listen, I, he was like, yo, listen, Michael, um, I heard you got life sentence, you know, and is it true? I'm like, yeah, it's true. He's like, how many life sentences did you get? I was like, only got one. And he said, that's it? I was like, yeah. And he tells me, oh, don't worry about it. You'll be all right. And I looked at him and I smiled, but at the same time, I was like, yo, what is he talking about? You know, like, I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? He came down here with a five-year sentence. He told me, I'm going to be all right. But, so, you know, I, I I further pressed him for questions. and He's like, no, nah, when you go there, guys got to have crazy time. You know, he's telling me. And I'm like, really? So, But I remember when I went to the prison yard, you know, I started off, and it's like I said, it was my first felony offense, and I started a maximum security prison in Virginia, Jonesville, Virginia, Lee County, USB Lee. And, when you get to those max prisons, you know, your paperwork is extremely important. Because guys want to see what you did, you know? They want to know who you are. It's like an unwritten rule in there. And I remember getting there, and I had my paperwork, because I had went to trial. I already had my pre-sentence report. I had my sentences transcripts with me. And I remember everybody brought this to the yard. And what what was what blew, that's why I could never forget this kid. What blew my mind was, I was the only person from New York at that time that had one life sentence. You know, everybody else had two or better. Life plus 100 years, life plus 250 years, you know. And one of the kids, you know, that that was there, he was from New York also. He had 17 life sentences for a nonviolent drug offense. What? He got? That's right. He got life on every single count. And it was a non-violent drug offense. And that blew my mind. Wow. That's when the reality starts to set in that this is unreal. Something is really wrong. And something's extremely unfair with what's going on. You know, I couldn't understand it. You know, so that's what prompted. You know, there's a bunch of things that prompted my own research for me to see what was going on. Because how do you get 17 life sentences for a non violent drug offense? You know, where is that done at? I just couldn't understand it. And and you're in a position and you're in a a similar position, but you still can't believe what happened to another person. You know, you just can't believe it. Like you like, Yo, what happened there? Yeah, that's that's unreal. Oh, yeah, it's unreal, but it's very real. Oh, I know, and, you I know. know <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's unreal, it's unfathomable, but it's extremely real, you know, and and that's why I was like, you have to, something has to be done, like awareness has to be brought to people, something really has to be done, kids have to understand that they can't put themselves in the position to get something so unjust done to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You understand, and that and that's that's what so being in Lee County, starting off in a massive security prison, to me, I think was the best thing that ever happened to me.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by the Better Money Super PAC. The Better Money Pack was founded to identify and help elect candidates who will fight for their three founding principles of financial responsibility, safe cryptocurrency, and free market solutions. And the Better Money Pack provides an avenue. For those of us who support sound money, to the problems plaguing this nation, they provide a way to take action. And they're going to do this by investing in five selected races in 2018 to elect candidates at the state level who embody the fight for better money. We decided to partner with the Better Money Pack because we believe in their vision. You can support both lines of liberty and the Better Money Pack by visiting Liberty dot com slash better money, and of course, credit, debit, and crypto donations are accepted. So once again, liberty dot com slash better money. Let's get back to the show. So, so you spent more than thirteen years in prison? Yeah, yeah. So, at what at what point did you find out that you were getting a commutation?
1: Well, I mean, the, the data they the data they tell you, you know, you file you file your paperwork, and it's luck of the draw, you know. I mean, when I say luck of the draw, you know, there's guys that have done plenty good things in prison that I, I, I me I felt deserved the commutation, and some of them didn't get it, you know. And, and some of us did get it, you know what I mean? So, but I'm not saying when I speak of luck of the draw, I'm not saying it's not because we did we didn't deserve it. I'm not saying because there's guys in there that's undeserving of it, but there's so many guys that's deserving of a second chance. That's really deserving to get another chance in life, to get another chance to, sh- to spend time with their children, to get another chance to let their mother and father be proud of the person that they became, you know, to let society understand that, yo, listen, that we could make you a lot to make a mistake. You can make a mistake. But you know what? If you redeem yourself, you should get a second chance. I mean, this is the the, maybe the the greatest Christian country, right? The biggest Christian country, one of them, right? Yeah. And the doctrine speaks of a second chance, right? Absolutely. So I believe that you know that 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 we should that guys should get a second chance if they could prove themselves in the most negative environment that they can survive and be positive. Why wouldn't you be afforded an opportunity to come and show society that, yo, listen, I earned this. I spent 20 years here. I spent 14 years here. I spent 15 years here. I spent 10 years in this place. And I paid my debt to society. And I should be entitled to a second chance because everyone knows. It's It's not a secret that the sentences are harsh. It's not a secret. And and that's another thing I pondered with you know, with that thought. That we know it's a harsh sentence, but sometimes when a person lost a loved one to drugs or you know something bad happened because of a situation with drugs, they might not think it's such a harsh situation.
0: Yeah, I I think I think that definitely plays into it and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that you brought up, you know, this is the largest Christian nation, and it, it is, but, you know, I had a past guest I had on, Mark Osler, he's written books on, um, you know, what, why Christians should be against the death penalty, and, uh, you know, the one thing he talked about, like you were just talking about second chances, he was talking about the need for, for mercy, Christians believe in mercy, in second chances, but there's probably a majority of Christians in the United States would... You know, favor these uh, these drug laws that put uh, nonviolent offenders in prison for life sentences, five life sentences, all, all this crazy stuff, because they think that's the the right way to go about it. They think that they can uh, legislate morality, legislate a, a society where you know, where people don't do drugs and people uh, and, and people don't uh, people act a certain way, the way that they want them to act. So it's it's. In order for us to change as a as a culture, as a society that actually embraces second chances, um, that that's a, a big thing that's that's definitely gotta change.
1: Yeah, but you know, I think it's be I, I don't think it's because they're bad people that they believe that.
0: I, I don't think so either.
1: Yeah, I just like for me, because you know, there's a lot of Christian people that come to the to the prison and they preach and they they come in there and they try to help. They, they do, they give gifts, you know, they do so many, but, I, but what I believe is just that it's awareness. It has to become more personal. You know, the story that's told about most people is such a negative story that it gives them the courage and it gives them the strength to believe in doing those things. It's because they can't see how it affects the child of that person, how it affects society you know how it affects communities i think and it becomes more personal and they and and they come and they actually meet you cuz what's on paper usually is not an accurate description of the human being that you are Absolutely. it's usually not there's usually another side to the story that's not being told you know and and i think that's where the problem comes in that it's more awareness because a para, you know, like in, in my own family, you know, some people would be like, oh my God, well, you know what? The drugs are bad. This person should have went away forever until it touched their family. Mm-hmm. And they understand. They're like, oh, well, he wasn't that bad. Maybe he made a a, a a poor choice. And I think that's what needs to that, that people need to understand that. Listen, people do make poor choices. They do make mistakes. If every person on this planet was known for the worst thing that they've done, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't even be able to, they wouldn't even be able to show their face in public.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and that's where the problem comes in. The problem comes in is that people don't take the time to understand that, hey, listen, man, this might have been the reason why this person did this. Or these might be the reasons. And, and as human beings, we can be very vengeful. We can can hate, you know, I mean, I don't think there's a person that's innocent of that, including myself, you know. But when you start to become aware of the situations, when you start to become aware of the reasoning, you know, I remember when I was away, right, I used to always, I read a lot, you know, like most prisoners do. And I remember there was a quote that I always thought about, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it was such an interesting quote to me. From Nietzsche. He said when you fight monsters. You have to be careful that you don't turn into the very same monster that you're fighting. And that's really deep. Because. Out of pain and out of vengeance and out of hate. Because of what somebody did. You start to turn just like them. But you feel you're doing. You're justified for the action. And that's what we have to be careful of. I believe that's what I'm. I'm very aware of that I try not to to let my own emotions turn me into a person that I will hate because if that's the case, if you see how the prison system is set up, you can come out here really hating people
0: so let's let's talk about that for a minute and so what what is it that do you think caused you to come out of prison, and instead of being, uh, you know, hateful and angry about really, I mean, the injustice that, uh, you know, that's that's happened to you, happened to your, happened to your family because it's happened to you as well, wide ranging injustice. What has caused you to turn that into a positive with guns down rather than being hateful and spiteful?
1: Because I, like I said, I did I did a lot of thinking in there, you know, and I really, I was always a person that was, I always been a positive person my whole life, you know, I always looked for the silver lining, the good in people, good in things, you know, but with my situation, you know, at first my judge and I, I mean, you could just imagine that your judge, the judge that I had, right, he was extremely harsh, and he is extremely harsh in the federal system. He's pretty well known for that, for being, I mean, he's no nonsense, period. You know, like I told you, I was sentenced to life. I came back. He resentenced me to life again. I had one of the, the a issue that I fought on my 2255 that was one of, an issue that should have reversed my case, and I lost it in his courtroom. So, but I prayed a lot, you know, I, I um... I did a lot of work in prison. I taught a lot of classes. You know, I I taught victim impact. And I used to see mothers come to the prison that lost children. So that started to make you really conscious, you know, of what's going on. So it was a level, for me, a level of consciousness that helped evolve my, my mind. It helped make me even more positive in a space of darkness because I was able to take responsibility for my actions also because that has a lot to do with it. You have to say, yo, listen, man, maybe I was doing something that wasn't right because we oftentimes have a hard time coming to grips that you had fault in the situation. And I'm thankful that I was able to see that. But what really started to to um we were teaching a, a, a program in the prison system that that they brought children up there, you know, they brought real young adults, you know, teenagers, and I seen the path that they were on. And it's like you're looking at yourself, you look at a reflection, and you're looking at this and you saying to yourself, like, I'm saying to myself that, yo, listen, maybe not these kids, but myself, I indirectly affected some children also because of my lifestyle choice. And you never look at it that way. But when I started teaching classes then I started to see things in a different way, listening to people, seeing guys that were actually in the prison system, the things that they've been through in their lives. So that kept me on a positive course. But I'm going to tell you what. Really cemented my my believing that doing good good comes out of it. You know, my judge, like I told you, he's one of the harshest judges in the criminal justice system. He's really, he's pretty well known. But this same judge that sentenced me to life twice, denied my appeals. He gave me a reduction in my sentence because of the change of the law, right? But he went a step further, writing a letter to the President of the United States, to President Obama, saying that he believes that my case was exceptional, that I'm exceptional, and that I should get a second chance in the world.
0: Did he do that for anybody else that you know of? Nope.
1: No, not that I know of. I mean, it's hard to know, you know, but my attorneys told In one of the letters he wrote, I was the only person he did that for. So I believe that God talks to you in his own way, you know. I believe that there's a higher power. And I believe that what I'm doing is ordained, you know. That I should be doing what I'm doing. I'm not the most religious guy because I'm not. But I do believe in a higher power. I do believe that when you become aware that you should do what's right.
0: So one thing I want to ask you about the the name guns down I'm sure when a lot of people hear it they just assume it's uh you know gun control organization or something like that um, but it's I mean from at least my understanding in reading it's it's definitely not that it's more about conflict resolution um, strategies for for nonviolence community you know bring communities together so can you just give us a Really, a, an overview of uh, of what it is and and some of the programs that you have in place.
1: Well, for you know, it's it's guns down is really a community development and improvement organization. You know, our mission is just to reduce the cycle of gun related crimes, but it's not a gun control. It's not gun control because you know. It's not that we don't we support the segment. We understand that you know, especially in this country, it's it's far it's already far too gone. There's enough guns in the country to arm everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So we understand that. So what we do also understand is it's education. Is giving people resources. Is conflict resolution. Giving someone another choice. To resolve their problems. You know, I tell people, right, and this is what I always talk about, John. Prison have the the most violent guys, right? Right. So why hasn't anybody got shot in there? It's a lot of conflict resolution. Why has why isn't everybody in there dead? Right? Yeah. You because know. guys because men find a way to resolve their conflicts. I'm not saying there's no stabbings in there because people do get stabbed. People do die. But there would be a whole lot more dead people if we didn't understand and find a way to resolve our conflicts. Wouldn't you agree with that?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: So it's just, it's really about finding different ways to resolve conflict. It's about giving opportunities to young men and young women for them to know that, listen, you don't have to resolve to this. You can resolve to this. You can choose to do this instead of that. It's all about opportunity. And we want to offer education, opportunity. You know, I have one of my friends that's gonna teach a class here for me. And it's about because he um at eighteen years old he went and got his gun license. This one we were kids. He was eighteen and he went and got his he went and got a shotgun license. But you know what? He hasn't killed anybody with that shotgun or the firearm he had. And it's not that he didn't have fights. He did. He had plenty of fights. But you know what? He understood that this is for a reason. He was thought that this is for a reason. This is not to take another human life. And all these years that he had a firearm, since we're 18 years old, so that's about 20-something years he had a firearm. And he hasn't killed anybody with it. And that's when he was impulsive. That's in his capricious years. You understand? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it's about education. It's about giving opportunity. It's about making people understand that we're not each other's enemies. I'm so I, not your enemy.
0: How, how, do you, how do you go out and reach people and get them into the program? What kind of you – know, well, we, what, we'll, what attracts people and brings people into the program?
1: Well, for us, right, because I was the way a lot of guys knew that I did teach programs, they, um, they know I'm serious about what I'm doing. They send, they send people to me. But like in the summer, I had in Brownsville, Brooklyn – I had a basketball tournament four weeks. I had it with one of my with one of my colleagues, and we brought over four hundred kids over there, and there wasn't a shot fired. Right? Mm -hmm. There wasn't one shot fired. There wasn't even a fight, and there were arguments, but we resolved it. But the kids, they had something that was more interesting to them than hurting each other. They had that game of basketball. They had T-shirts. They had free soda. They had um free, um, and what, what did I have? Um, the the Snickers, not Snickers, the the fruit bars. They had Gatorade, and they just were kids being kids, having fun. And, and if you understand Brownsville, Brooklyn, and you can look it up later, that's a lot. And to do it for four weeks without a shot, that's a lot. Without we had no police presence. It's not like we had officers out there helping. No. Right. It was just the community. So that told me that if you give them the resources, if you see an argument start and you, try, you, you, you immediately go into and, and, and help resolve the problem and show them the reason why they shouldn't be fighting or arguing. You know what they do? They laugh, pat each other on the back, say, "I right, get out of here, and they keep playing ball. So it tells you that, listen, you you just need the resources. You need resources. We need resources. We need help. We need the community to help. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. We all need that. Everybody needs that. We need the community's help to make a change. Everyone has to become part of it.
0: And 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 with that, with something like, I mean... <clears throat> something like a basketball tournament, I mean, that might seem small to people listening. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm not familiar with, um, with, 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 Brownsville, Brooklyn. Um, I, you know, I'll take I'll take your, you know, take your word for it, obviously. Um, but that's, I mean, that's something to build on, right? That's right. Um, it's something right. that the community sees. They see, you know, this basketball tournament went on for four weeks, no violence. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a building block. That's how you build a foundation.
1: That's right. No, I'm saying, and that's what we did, you know. And and remember, it happened. I had it in July to August. Remember, I was just home. I wasn't home long. I came home in December, and we did it in July. But that opened up my eyes to say that listen, it's it's possible we can make this happen. You know, it's definitely possible. When I was away, my son got shot. You know, he didn't die, thank God, but his best friend died. Two so of them got shot. And those are the things that I thought about. You know, and I see you bring the resources because I would ask questions. I would ask, like, yo, what's going on? And, and and you would hear the same answers from the kids. We don't have nothing to do. Everybody's saying they're going to help us, but they don't. That's what you hear.
0: Yeah, and I mean... One of the reasons why you know why things are the way they are, especially in in inner cities, um, the fabric of the community has been torn apart and attacked by this war on drugs by putting people putting people in prison, locking them away, locking fathers in prison. Yeah. But um, I, I think I've probably kept you longer than we talked about initially. But uh, you know this is this is a good conversation conversation that that needs to be had. And I just want to give you the opportunity before I let you go, um, please. Tell my audience how they can help, how they can donate, how they can learn more about Guns Down and anything else that you want to uh, want to plug or talk about.
1: Oh, thank you so much, John. Well, you know, with Guns Down, we do need help. It's a young organization. You know, we need everything. We need funding. We need grant writers. We need people that can help us expand what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to bring resources to the kids. We need donations. You know, I have an office in Brooklyn. I have a little a, a room with some computers that were donated to me. You know, I um, I'm working hard. We need instructors. We need people that's willing to to not just donate money, but donate what they learned in their lives. You know, we need instructors. We need people that could that could help with job readiness, that could help prepare the mind that could show something different to these kids, that could show something different to these men and women that's coming home that need to see something different, that need someone that they never would ever have believed, that would believe in them, that would believe in them enough to want to help. You know, I know myself how that means. I remember, you know, it's, it's funny, but there was a person in, in the prison system, a staff member that said, yo, if you go home, I'm a, I believe in what you're going to do. And you can have everybody in the world believe in. But when you when there's the person that you least likely to expect that would say that to you, it means something. It means something. So we need donations. We need instructors. We need people that can help write grants. We need people that can help these kids take them on trips that could give these men that's coming home and women jobs, give them a chance to 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 show them, to show you, to show the world, to show the community, the person that they become throughout the years of struggle. You know, those are the things that we need. We need people that's willing to give their time, that's willing to give their time to instruct, to help, in, in whichever capacity possible. And that's what we're looking for. You know, We that's the help that we need. We want to expand Guns Down, but we want to start now to make this, make this program work. We want it to be a program where a man is leaving prison or a child is having a hard time. They know that they say, you know what? We can go to this organization and they'll help us. They'll help us transition into the person that we're trying to become. The world might not believe in us, but they will believe in us. And, and John, that's what I need from you to, you know, let your audience know that it doesn't matter where they're at. You know, if they want to, instead of going to spend a vacation on a beach somewhere in a sandy, beautiful ocean. Come spend some time with a kid, with a few kids and help them out, help make a difference in their lives. You know, that's that's what I need. I need the help of the community. And when I say the community, I'm not talking about just the community that we're in. I'm talking about the community, the, the 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 community, this whole United States of America and abroad. That's the community I'm speaking about. You know, I really appreciate the plug. I want to thank you, you know, I want to thank you for having us on. I'm looking forward to working with you also. And I believe that we could make, we could make a difference.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, I link to everything on the show notes page and yeah I just want to just repeat and encourage my audience the Felony Friday audience to you know get involved. You know think about this for a minute. France just got just got commuted in November of uh, of 2016. You we were just talking about before the show this was your first Christmas and New Year you know without being having a an ankle monitor on or anything. Really having having freedom. Um, and think, I mean, all you've done already to this point, ha- you haven't even been out a year yet. Like, r-
1: truly. Yeah, I just right? touched my I, yeah, just touched my year, just touched it a couple of days ago.
0: So that's, <laughs> yeah, it's my first.
1: Year. <laughs> but I but I only been out eight months, like able to move around. I was in the house for four months, so yeah. So I haven't been out actually in the street, and I have a job at a law firm. I was hired, you know, one of the people that 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 believed in what I'm doing. He gave me a chance to work at his law firm, and he has a pretty big law firm, you know. So, and they like what I'm doing, they like my work. They, I come there. My work ethic is is on a million, you know, and it's it's helping me, you know, just to be able to survive right now. And I'm here. I come to the organization every day. I try. I'm pushing hard. I still go give speeches in high schools. I go talk to kids, you know. I'm spoken colleges. I even took my daughter to to speak at Fordham University about the impact, about the impact of incarceration on a child, on a father and child. And we do that also. So anyone that wants us to come out and speak about how schools, colleges, sociology programs, anyone that needs us to come and speak to show the impact that prison has on a child and a father, I'm willing to do that also. That's how important it is to me. And not only to the people out here, but to the guys that might be listening inside or their families, how important it is to stay in touch with your children. Write them. Even if they don't write you back, write them. Tell them that you love them as often as possible. Because you might not think it's making a difference, but it's making a difference. So anybody that's listening that might have a loved one incarcerated, you make sure you tell them that a card Send a card to their kid. Whatever they can do for their child, just do it. Just do that. A little letter with a I love you, send it. Because when they come home, they'll see how much it impacted that child's life. You know, the organization is gunsdown.org. You know, you got any, everybody that's listening, they can look it up gunsdown.org. And like I said, we're definitely about awareness and crime prevention for all the listeners.
0: Well, that is powerful stuff. And I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. And I, I look forward to uh, talking with you and, and working with you in the future as well. Thank
1: you so much, John. Thank you so much. And like I said, continue doing what you're doing. We really appreciate you. And we're looking forward to working with you also. All
0: right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to today's show with France Michael. Uh, really an incredible show. It's incredible what France has been able to do in the short amount of time that he's been out of prison. I mean, it's incredible uh, bringing these uh, programs together to help kids. Just uh, amazing. I mean, I can't wait to hear what he's doing a year from now, two years, five years, 10 years from now, the impact he's having. So just a really enjoyable guest, really enjoyable discussion. Everything that he's overcome, everything he's changed in his life to make him who he is today. Just a, uh, a great story. This is what Felony Friday is all about, sharing stories like fronts. Michael, and although we didn't agree on everything, um, we didn't really get into the details of it. I didn't argue with him or push back, but we did have a, a small disagreement there. If you caught it on legalizing drugs, and that's okay. You know, I'm not going to go off course in the middle of an interview and argue with one of my guests about legalizing drugs and why it's the right thing to do and why it would make it safer for everyone involved being uh, the, the users, the drug dealers, people who aren't even involved, just uh, collateral damage of uh, violence happening on the streets. It would make it safer for, for everyone involved if we brought drugs out of the black market, out of the shadows of society and out into the streets. But I'm not going to go into that in the middle of an interview, but you know what? I talk about it a lot in the show. I've talked about it a lot in the past in the show. You can go back to older episodes and check that out. And I'll be talking about it some, actually, a little bit on next week's show when I'll be interviewing Rocky Ferenberg. Rocky has had his struggles in the past with drug abuse, drug addiction, and he's has had a lengthy criminal record as well. But he's turned his life around, and now he's running for state-level office in Idaho. And he has a very... Uh, Libertarian-esque platform, even though he's running as a Republican. So Rocky and I will have a very interesting discussion, so tune in for that next week. And guys, if you haven't joined the Lions of Liberty Forum yet, you got to get in there. Uh, we've been having some some great discussions. In fact, just this past week, we had a pretty cool discussion um, talking about the case that I'm sure everyone's heard about, or maybe you haven't heard about it, but it, in Texas, a couple weeks ago, there was a 23-year-old woman That she went on a date with this multi-millionaire lawyer who lives in a mansion that came back to his house. And she was a little bit intoxicated. And she sort of kind of damaged hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of his property. Sculptures, paintings, ripping paintings off the wall, dumping wine on them. And it came out just this past week, I believe, on Wednesday that she might get a uh, charged and um, the prosecutors might try to get her life life in prison for that. So we had a little impromptu is this a crime? <coughs> and should uh, should she do time in the forum this week and I think almost everyone agreed that of course she should have to pay for the damages that she caused but beginning locked away in prison, I mean, what, what good is that going to do? That's not going to help her to, to pay off her debt. Um, it's not going to expedite that any more quickly. You know, of course, I, I like to, in situations like this, I like to harken back to one of my favorite uh, Seinfeld episodes when, when they're talking about Jerry and George are starting their own sitcom. And the one part of the sitcom is that something like a car accident happens. The judge sentences the guy responsible for the car accident that he has to be the other guy's butler. So, of course, in this case, I thought it would be hilarious if, uh, if this woman had to be um, this uh, multimillionaire's maid and, and work off the all the damage she caused. Of course, they could make that into a reality TV show and people would watch it. I guarantee it. I guarantee people would watch it. Anyway, that's what we talk about in the forum. It gets pretty crazy in there. You can join the forum by going to Facebook and typing "Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top and uh, we'll get you in as long as you're a real person and not a you know uh, one of those crazy profiles that I've been seeing recently where it's a a male's name but a female's picture it's, what the hell do these scammers aren't even trying anymore they're just not even not even putting a female's name to to try to scam people anyway anyway as long as you're a real person you'll get in and just one more note guys before I let you go join the pride we want you in the lions pride we have 70 members in the lions pride right now we want to get up to and we have a little over a thousand, a little over seven hundred dollars uh, per month we're getting from the pride. We want to go up to a thousand, get up to a thousand dollars per month. That means we're going to libertarian functions this year. So we need your help to get there, guys. You can join the pride by going to lionsofliberty.com/slash support. For as little as five dollars a month, you get access to all of our exclusive bonus audio content. I know there's an episode of Conspiracy Corner coming out soon where the guys will be looking at The Conspiracy Around Antarctica. And if you're asking, what conspiracy around Antarctica, then you probably should join the Pride and listen because it's always entertaining. I didn't participate in this one, but I enjoy listening to it just as much as you guys. And um, other bonus shows, uh, Degenerate Gamblers is almost every week where myself and Brian Enrico look at the uh, sports betting of the uh, football games. And with college football winding down and the NFL winding down, we'll probably take a break for a while. But it's a good time, and we've had a lot of fun with those with those podcasts. And we have other shows, too, bonus questions from guests, things like that. So join the pride. You'll hear it all. $10, you get some free stuff. $25, you get more free stuff, and you get a monthly conference call. So get your butt in the lines of Liberty Pride. That's all I got for the show today. Thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.